0: It's a deep deep deep.
1: Brother, we've got Major League Baseball to talk about. Yeah. It's very exciting stuff. Major League Baseball spring training is underway as of this weekend. Manny Machado is a three hundred or $350 million, man. $350 would be a very nice bargain. For that's, I
0: would say that's more like you and me. <laughs> I, That'd be I, great. Go, yeah, I, I would love that
1: you post labrum surgery that that's your 350 dollar man but Manny Machado is officially a half a billion dollar player for the San Diego Padres when it's all said and done he's made 150 million he'll make 350 more the Padres also hung 18 on the Diamondbacks this weekend uh I'm starting a new thing um pretty much titled spring training Overreactions," and then we've got top 10 first baseman in the game as well we continue the top 10s this is what like the first loaded show in what feels like forever, but it's really good to talk about baseball that we just watched.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and it's fun because, you know, it's, it's loose, but at the same time, you're still seeing guys compete. It's a nice appetizer to the world baseball classic, which is going to disrupt what we're used to. That's going to be high leverage baseball, intense baseball, you know, kind of, before we get the major league season but what i've noticed a little bit of is some of the guys that are getting ready to head to the wbc are ramping it up a little bit more than they do this early in the spring maybe in other years because they got to ramp up for the ramp up which is like i gotta be ready to go first to third on a single because i'm gonna have to do that like full speed in a couple weeks in the world baseball classic like no one's dogging it in the world baseball class it's not happening if you don't plan on going 100 percent you're not playing. That's why we've seen a lot of guys bow out. So it's been cool to kind of see some of these teams put their best lineup forward right away because yeah. there's so many teams that will be, quote unquote, broken up. with the World Baseball Classic, which I know managers hate, but we don't really care.
1: I don't care at all. And I don't think the players really care that much, although you are seeing yeah. guys if they tweak something, right? Like Pavetta, I think, tweaked to hammy. He's done. Kershaw tweaked something. Yeah. He's done. Alejandro Kirk is still be. waiting for a kid to pop out, so he's done. Like, yeah, yeah. Very unique situations yeah, yeah. here. I hey, I figured we could spend like the first forty five minutes of the show talking about why the pitch clock sucks, and it's okay to oh, make a, it's okay to like make a foregone conclusion statement on the pitch clock after two days of spring training baseball. You in?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'll, I'll highlight one anecdotal uh, example of that. Uh, was and who I love and 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 I admire is in, in the way that he does his job. But I mean, dude, passing well, well that was it was brutal. The, the one tweet where he, he had the tweet of the video of that, that 3-2 pitch, uh, that didn't happen, right? With the bases loaded, the run walks in, whatever the, the call was or the strikeout, it was a strikeout. And I think it right? was, yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't care because no one pays attention, even if he had a walk off grand slam, no one would give a shit except for Cal Connolly's family, and that's about it. Yeah. But we pretend that this was a big deal. And and goes, oh, this is the new reality.
1: And no, it's I was not.
0: Like, Come on. What kind of doomsday shit is this? This is not the new reality. This is February 25th, game one of spring training, which these growing pains are going to happen. You're a minor league broadcaster, Jack. How many games that you broadcasted and or watched? I watched a shit ton and you broadcasted even more probably. How many games ended with... Uh, a pitch clock violation zero zero up. I
1: hardly I hardly saw any in the ninth inning. Like there's more leeway in the regular season that I think anybody's expecting right now. The only reason you're seeing as many calls as you are a is because you're watching these games via Twitter and everybody's clipping them and putting them out on Twitter Guess how many are happening over the course of a nine inning game? We're seeing over 200 pitches, probably closer to 300 pitches being thrown in total in these games, 1.7. That's how many times we're seeing a pitch clock violation so far in these spring training games.
0: Even better. So first week of minor league baseball, according to baseball America, there was 1.54 violations per game, pitch clock violations by the second week it dropped to 1.19 by the third week it was 0.93 by the fourth week it was 0.68 and it continued to dwindle as the year went on that means 32% of games roughly had zero violations like it, it, i know that's rough back of the on and the majority back. had, had one roughly averages out right what, sorry and the majority had right. one one which which was in the third inning with one out in a in a one 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 count, which sucks at that time, and that's one growing pain. But how about every single game being two hours and change? You know, longest one being three hours, and these are with a lot of subs, with a lot of guys that are like, you know, reliever here, reliever there, substituting here and there. Like nobody's really uber aggressive as they're all kind of feeling it out. It seems like every count kind of goes deep. Like these are going quick. Uh, I'm glad we started with that real quick because the faux outrage is ridiculous. It's not a new reality. And, and I hated seeing passing you know because he's always so calculated and thoughtful. And I'm like, Oh, you, you tipped your hand on this one. Like hey, he's obviously he's also you're, a doomsayer. Let's be honest. He's like, yeah, totally he is a doomsayer. Yeah, and, and it got a lot of retweets. It got a, got a ton of engagement. So he knows how I, to do I that. get it. And, and, and he's really good. But like, that was the one thing that I wanted to make clear. I'm like, this is not the new reality. This is February 25th. And just like you shouldn't take every single result, Uh, you know, very Hmm. seriously. I think you should be excited about a a big time exit velocity, you know, a a young guy putting up a 118 that he had never put up before, like some freakish thing like that, or a pitcher that is, you know, running it up a little bit higher velocity wise than we're used to, or, you know, maybe some, some starting pitcher is mixing in a cutter that we didn't see previously. Look for those things. But if you're chasing results in, in spring training, you're just you're just wasting your time like no no none of these these players don't care about results right now so why should you
1: exactly and i tell you these players by the end of spring training are going to love the pitch clock i heard negative thoughts about the pitch clock oh, yeah. from hitters not pitchers in the first month of the regular season in minor league ball last year after that not a word there was pretty much a general consensus that this was a good thing my last point on the pitch clock Arizona and San Diego, and this will go into the Padre conversation. San Diego won 18 to six. There were a combined, if my count is correct, 16 pitchers used, 11 walks issued, 25 total hits, and 24 total runs. That game, an 18 to six game with 16 pitchers used, took three hours and three minutes. Yeah, this I is the mind. best thing to happen to baseball.
0: Yeah, um, and I think people are going to really like it. And and last thing I'll say is, Codify, they tweeted out you know a clip of like, just a slow at bat last year between like Christian Vasquez and Summer Leaver. and it's like man, you actually like it reminds you how monotonous it can be. Um, so the guy steps out, adjusts everything. and I was just like, oh my gosh, here we go, pitch to pitch to pitch. Like I know that more people, more more people that watch games very passively. May watch more games now, I really do believe that. so i'm I'm looking forward to the results, I think being very positive,
1: so Gary Cohen put it best, I think. he he said, um, and, and i don't I don't think I'm getting this directly, but it's this same line. It doesn't take away baseball time. It lessens non-baseball time yeah. in the course of a baseball game. The fat, you're getting the same amount of baseball, everybody. you're getting the same number of pitches. You're getting the same number of balls in play hopefully some more and you're just getting out of there quicker because you don't have to deal with like the step-offs and you don't have yeah. to deal with like getting a new baseball every time
0: and if you go if you go to baseball games to watch them swap out baseballs or or lick their finger for the 50th time and wipe it on their pants or adjust their batting if take that's why golf. you go to games take up <laughs> golf i'll tip my cap to you i mean i that's that's really awesome i promise you you're one of very few so um, That said, I think a lot of people are going to be going to, to San Diego Padres games now for the foreseeable future.
1: Yeah, you texted me. Can we talk Padres? So go ahead and talk Padres, and I'll fill in whatever.
0: Yeah, real quick before we get into the top tens, I I, I just find their whole situation fascinating because I, I considered the Machado extension honestly unlikely. Uh, that's with no sources, nothing like that. Of course, that was just based on whatever basic reasoning I can I can kind of come to because. You look at it from this lens and I think we talked about it a little bit on the podcast, but you know, you, you're already paying Tatis, you know, you just paid Xander big money and you just traded a haul for Juan Soto and a haul puts it lightly. I mean, we're seeing James Wood ranked as a top five prospect in baseball by some top 20 by everybody. And then you're going to talk about Gore, Abrams, Hassel and Susana. These are all really, really good players. It's an all time package. You figure if you trade that for a Juan Soto, you're gonna extend him. You're not trading that for two and a quarter years of Juan Soto. My question to you is like, are they actually so are they now gonna pay Juan Soto as well? Or is he going to potentially hit free agency? If he does, I I think it's a gross misuse of assets. And I know that's crazy to say because I'll never fault a team for for signing or excuse me, for trading for a generational hitter like Juan Soto. But in terms of just using your assets properly factions of that large package could have got you multiple stars so if this is what you cashed in the entire farm in for was for two and a quarter years of Juan Soto they better win it in the next two or else it looks pretty ridiculous
1: so my thought on that is I think Machado and I think you Darvish were slightly more inclined to sign their long-term deals with the Padres because they saw the aggressiveness needed to go after Juan Soto and they know that ownership and they know that AJ Preller will put the Padres in a position year after year where if they're competing for a world series championship they will push the chips in to go try and win that world series and that's really enticing and I heard the number floated uh, at 400 million I think Nightingale floated that number for Machado that's what he wanted Um, yeah I I think that that's kind of a front like that's probably a smokescreen number probably the
0: asking price they settled on 350. (laughs) Yeah they
1: settled on 350 here I think Machado is willing to budge from 400 and go to 350 knowing that the Padres do everything in their power to go try and win championships when they have the opportunity to do so. Now after locking up Machado and Darvish and Musgrove and Tatis I think that the ship has sailed on extending soto. I don't think that Juan Soto signs an extension with San Diego. Do you?
0: I just find it so baffling that you could trade that kind of haul for a couple years of a player.
1: But they did it for 3 Octobers of Juan Soto.
0: Well, you, you burned the first one and he wasn't even that great. I understand. So that's 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 hindsight though. Like 3 Octobers of Juan Soto are worth what they gave up. Like, man,
1: I mean, Um, like you're the prospect guy, but you know, you you're never going to have a prospect block what you're trying to do right now.
0: That's, that's fine. And you can, you can bank, uh, I'm not banking on these guys panning out. What I'm banking on is the value of the assets use of assets, right? You're, we're talking about, if you package Gore and Abrams in one deal, you're getting a very impactful. You get a
1: top player. 20 player in the game. You just don't get the, a, a top three player
0: in the game. So that's my thing. So then you also, at this point, package a James Wood, who they knew was was heading into top 15 prospect territory. Package Wood, Hollywood Hassel,
1: Susana. and Susana. You get another top 20 player.
0: Correct. My point is, if they, you know, maybe they were more optimistic at that point that they could extend a Juan Soto. And now they realize they could. Then that's why it's hard to to, to go too deep into this. But my thing is just, I think this was an AJ Preller moment, uh, that just a classic AJ Preller moment, right? Yeah. Where he swings for the fences, and he hits home runs sometimes. This is one where you know I think he went all in and said, "I'm going to get Juan freaking Soto." Why? Why wouldn't I? Which, in a nutshell, is great. But I think we're going to look back at this one and be like, whoo, that was a lot to give up for a small window," and you know we'll look back and say, "How did that go?" Uh, If they win in the next couple years, then it's great. I don't fault them for taking a shot, but I'm not giving up the whole farm for a guy that not only am I not extending a guy that is, is more of a DH liability in the outfield type. So I I know he's one of the best hitters in the game. I just, I I thought it was very fascinating. Anyway, that takes away from the Machado extension. I love that. Um, if it means you're not keeping Soto, like uh, at the end of the day, you got to keep one of them. And if you let Machado walk and then you end up losing Soto down the line, then you're really going to kick yourself. So I, I don't fault them for taking the bird in hand here um, and and signing a guy that obviously wanted to stay there. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I imagine that that's why he let them know that he was going to exercise the opt out a year before he did. It gives yeah. them a window. Like, Hey, I want to stay here. I have to exercise my opt out. Cause I'm leaving hundreds of millions on the table. That said, I'm going to give you a year to like make me a better offer than I think I can get or at least a competitive offer and I'll stay. So it worked, uh but I think that might have been why th- at that point the Padre said, "Hey, like we don't want to risk losing both. We might as well take the burden in hand here like we know Machado will sign for X." Can't fault them for that, but that's why I'm always a little wary of putting all your eggs in one basket on a trade like that.
1: So my my only counterpoint there is Think about how badly a Padres fan base and how badly Padres ownership would want a golden era of Padres baseball. And and they unlocked two and a half years of a golden era of Padres baseball.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, it's fair. And we'll see. Um, You know, again, if they do some special stuff, I mean, if if they
1: win it, it's worth it. If they win the World Series this year and don't next year and Soto
0: walks, worth it. 100%. So I can't, I won't say anything bad yet um but i will say like it's and it's not i don't think it's even if they lose in the you know and whatever round in the in the nlcs the next two years i don't think you could say it was a bad move i think you could just look back and say "Mm, i wonder what what else they could have done with those assets but at the end of the day they're giving themselves a great shot and they're going for it and you can't fault them for that
1: here's another one for you if they don't win if they go to the NLCS each of the next two years, Juan Soto is top three in NL MVP voting each of the next two years. Was it worth it?
0: Yeah. You know, it, it probably is. Yeah. you know, And that's the thing. I think that's, that's the value of two MVP seasons. Sure. Yeah. I, I think so. So again, I I'm with like, I I'm with your counterpoint. I, I hear it. Yeah. Um I think there's a lot of scenarios where, where what I'm saying is, is null. Um, but it's just something that kind of started to creep into my mind. I'm like, Hey, this could be interesting to look back on because when it happened, we're like, Oh, no brainer, no brainer. And they're, they have to extend him after that package. Right. Um, so now it's like, they better get the Juan Soto that they traded for, for the next two years, because if they don't extend him, they better get some value over the next couple seasons. And I think they will. He also looked fantastic by the way, today. As a, yeah. Uh,
1: I mean, he pumped there. out a bomb and like we're expecting a guy to, to roll out of bed and have a four ten OBP. Right.
0: Yeah. And two seasons of that, I guess is worth whatever prospect capital you want. I mean, that's, that's fair.
1: Now transitioning to my first of three spring training over reactions for this episode, Mackenzie Gore looked fucking awesome on Saturday, <laughs> 95 to 96 with the heater. The secondaries were there through 18 pitches, 13 for strikes. Uh, if I'm remembering correctly If Mackenzie Gore is healthy, you saw what he could do in the front half of last year where he was pretty much atop the Rookie of the Year leaderboards until he went down and Harris and Strider took it from him. Mackenzie Gore, like I saw the frontline guy that I think a lot of people saw in 2019. And I think a lot of people saw it as well at the beginning of his major league career a year ago.
0: hundred percent. And I think it's really about the health at this point, because I'm pretty sold on him being at least close enough to that version that we always thought he could be. Right. I think he's back to at least high profile pitching prospects, McKenzie Gore. I don't know if he's back to generational left-handed talent, which I don't think was fair yeah, to him. Kershaw
1: 2.0. Yeah. He was
0: more advanced than most people, we, players we've seen his age. And then we got excited, but I think this is a guy that's a really good middle of the rotation lefty, which is extremely valuable. And then without with room for a little bit more, Yeah, the fastball average 95.5 miles per hour. Uh, and, eight of the nine he threw were strikes that's great he, man he was getting ahead of everybody he, he mixed in the curve mixed in the slider even threw a change like yeah i mean everything looked really good there so I, i'm excited to see more of him and, and again i mean that's a, it's a really valuable piece for the nationals here and talk about like a guy that this is where you're looking at spring training right i mean this is that's what you want to see Make, yes not not even just the results oh gore is sitting mid 90s to he upper looks good 90s and throwing strikes That's what you want to look at spring training for. Like, oh, he looks good. Don't chase the results. But yeah, I like that. What else you got?
1: Um, Reed Detmers looked really, really good.
0: Talk about another X factor, dude. If that guy's closer to a two for them, which it's possible, if he's closer to a two, that team, we might start buying in again, man. I'm
1: I'm I'm bought into Detmers, man. I I think Reed Detmers can absolutely be the three for them. And, And I think you look at, otani tyler anderson and reed detmers is a front yeah. three that's, that's feel, legit feel great about that
0: that's legit that's legit and the bullpen's good
1: yeah they're fine and, and the lineup <sighs> depends what joe adele is i know joe adele hit a bomb um, uh, yeah we'll Sorry right. for the
0: preview what's your third
1: <laughs> that's fine my third um i i prefer watching pitchers this early in spring training as opposed to hitters because i think pitchers are so far ahead and we've talked about this like pitchers can throw bullpens all off season. Like they can go through a ramp up process. Pitchers are seeing live major league arms for the first time all off season. So pitching is like ahead. Pitching is much farther ahead than I think hitters are. So I like watching the pitchers, but the one hitter that's jumped out to me is uh, the guy that's going to go 50, 50 in 2025. Zach Veen through his first two games is three for five with two doubles and a nuke, man. Are you bought in or are you bought in?
0: Here we go. I can't believe you're saving Veen. I didn't think that was going to be one of your takeaways. Um, Come on, man. Veen. I'm excited. Hey, t-
1: another arm real quick. Taj Bradley looked great as well. Yeah. The fastball was jumping, but that's beside the point. Give me your Zach Veen take.
0: I, I'm excited. I'm excited. I want to see what Veen can do. It was a rough double A stint. You know, I I think he's extremely talented. So, this is good. It's good. Good experience for him. Just see if he can handle the velo. see how he handles some, uh, some tougher competition. But um, I will say the, the Taj Bradley storyline, and I want to do an episode at some point. I know we're pretty scheduled out. Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of content over the next however many months, especially over the, the, the weeks leading into the season, we're action packed at the just baseball yeah. show after opening day, about, we can
1: talk about whatever we want.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> I want to talk about like prospect storylines, you know, and player storylines because it'll probably be a good call up episode because there are players here that I, I I will kind of take back a little bit of what I said and say, watch their results a little bit more closely, maybe not in the first week, but as we get to week two, three, and onward, like watch Tosh Bradley's results a little bit more because if he, it, how he looks, can it, it very much expedite how long he needs to stay in AAA. a um, yes. Same with Yuri Perez. Like, this is an opportunity for him to show, hey, I, I'm pretty damn near ready to go. Like, if you start me in triple, I'm, I'm ready to go. Uh, you, you can see that with a few other guys that I think are going to get the opportunity to pitch aren't expected to break in. Uh, yeah. on opening day, but can really shorten the length of time that they're expected to stick and triple uh, by their performance out here. And we'll talk about that on the call because I think there's a there's a, a slew of, of pitchers and hitters that kind of fit in that bucket.
1: 100%. And this is like the best time for the prospect people because I grew up going out to Arizona and seeing the Cubs and White Sox play spring training. And I'm sure you went to the ballpark with your dad growing up during yeah. spring training. And it was a great time. Mm-hmm. And at the very beginning of my, like, spring training presence you would see the the 78s and the 87s and yeah. the 92s and say who the hell are those guys but now that means something because typically they're mlb ready or close to mlb ready prospects
0: yep yeah which is so fun that's why i've really enjoyed watching the end of these games i mean like you know, when the lineup turns over some teams it's a disaster and, you know, yeah, guys yeah. i don't care about but a lot of teams, it's like, oh, here's Jackson Merrill. Here's Jackson Holiday. Uh, you know, here, here are some really exciting prospects, uh, one after another after another. So, um, and that stuff we'll, we'll talk about on the call-up too. And again, I'm not chasing results there. I'm just chasing poise and how they're commanding their at-bats, how comfortable they look. And and then, of course, a little bit of the, the, the flash and flare, like a Casey Schmidt hitting the ball to the freaking moon. Yes. Like, oh, that swing looks a little better. That's Ronnie Mauricio
1: going 450 feet
0: he looks a little different. That's something I'm buying into. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited to break more of that down, but we got some first baseman to break down, right?
1: We do 2025. Zach Veen is going to be an absolute movie, a feature film, <laughs> but now top 10 first baseman in major league baseball, three honorable mentions, Reese Hoskins with the Phillies, Ryan Mountcastle with the Orioles, Ty France with the Mariners. Let's start with Hoskins because yes, he punches out. Yes. He plays average to below average defense, But, yes, he does average 30 homers over 162 in his career. Feels like he's a walking 30 homer guy, and he's exactly what the Phillies need in that lineup with so much star power. They've got some reliability offensively with Hoskins.
0: Yeah, it's funny, like, the the irony of of what you said. He's a walking 30 homer guy. He literally is a walking 30 homer guy. He walks a ton, and he always hits around 27 to 30 home runs. The career walk rate of 13.5%. Like, that is – crazy the, the boost you want to see from a guy who's never gonna hit above two, 250. <laughs> like and, and, aside from the 50 game stretch that we saw from him in his rookie year he's never hit above 250. but guess what he doesn't hit 190 either right, he hangs right around the 230 240 usually I mean you look at the last four three three seasons excuse me he's been like Chris Davis almost and Chris with a K or 245 in 2020, 247 in 2021, and 246 in 2022. He's a couple balls bouncing away from replicating the the triple, you know, three years in a row. I think it was four for Chris Davis, which will never be matched in the history of the game. I'll stand yeah. by that. But I mean, this is a guy that he's gonna walk, he's gonna run into baseballs, and he's gonna be good. Honestly, I was very tempted to to make the case to put him in here because if you look at the pure offensive perspective, it's reliable. Really matters, he he's a top ten bat. And and this is my point I want to make here because I, I really still felt like, man, you could make the case for him. He has never had an F4 above 2.4 because his defense is so, so bad. So even though defense may only be 15% of the equation, maybe less at first base, if you're arguably the worst defender at your position, it's really going to hold you back unless you're one of the best bats and he's not one of the best bats. He's a really solid one. And that's why he's just outside
1: a hundred percent. We're going to get to the worst defender at this position who is in the top 10, but I promise you this, he's not very high up because the glove is that, that bad Ryan Mountcastle. I think everybody was expecting a breakout in 2022. You didn't get it. feels very Alec Bomey where all of a sudden he can come back and start mashing. Um, you know, I, I had a good conversation with Taylor Davis about Mount Castle on Show and Go, which is, again, part of the Just Baseball Network, wherever you get your podcast, that whole shebang. But Mount Castle, like, he can't be affected that much by the walls moving back. Like, that's a problem. It's an adapt or die situation. And Mount Castle, with how good of a bat he is, I, I can guarantee that he's going to do more adapting than dying.
0: Yeah, I, I'm a big, I'm a big Mountain Castle fan. Ultimately, I think that's just a casualty of the position. Uh, he's he's a really good ball player. I think he'd be an honorable mention in a lot of other positions too. He just hasn't quite exploded the way we, we we've been waiting for. But I I think that's one of those guys that every single year I'm going to be like, this is the year he breaks out. This is the year he breaks out. But still really young. I, if I'm not mistaken, that's a guy that's still what 26. Yeah, is
1: 25.
0: Um, Ryan, he might be 25.
1: He is 26. Hey, happy belated birthday, Ryan Mountcastle. Turned 26 on February 18th.
0: Bang. There you go. I mean, this is a young guy. He's still got plenty of time.
1: Yeah. Um, All right. Next one. Ty France, 28-year-old Ty France, first all-star nod this past year, somehow put together his first season with an OPS under 800 since 2019. So 2020, he was above 800. 2021, he was above 800. And here he is pumping out a 774. But you know, this guy's a career 280 hitter uh, in Ty France. You call it the Ty France effect with Vinny Pasquantino, right? You hit at every level. You never get the prospect pedigree, and you get up to the major league level, and you just keep on hitting.
0: I mean, that's exactly what Ty what France does. I think this is the one... This is the one that when we look back at the end of the year, we'll be like, eh, he should have been a top 10 guy. Um, I, I, I'm not saying we we were wrong or anything like that. I think we're kind of our hand was forced here by a guy that was playing banged up last year um, and, and did did kind of take a step back a little bit offensively in the second half. Still- still have yeah you know just kind of seemed like it just wasn't all there for him for the whole course of the season and other guys really did step up in the second half and that's what we'll get into at number 10 but when you hit 229 in the second half of the season like again i really think it was injury related and i think he's going to be really good this year but that's going to hold you back Uh, i I love franco because he's kind of he's kind of different for a first baseman he's not going to hit bajillion home runs but he's not going to strike out he's going to get on base at a decent clip even though he doesn't walk a ton he just puts bat on ball it's he's a really unique profile and um that's why i've coined yeah he's the reason why i look deeper into bat first prospects because of the Ty france effects that i kind of picked up on through his years in the Padre system where no one gave him love but if you look at the minor league box scores or the minor league stats on fan graphs you'll never see a wrc plus with two digits in it it'll always be it'll always be well over 100
1: that's cool, man. All right. I I will push back. I think if there's one guy at the end of the year that we look back on and we say, how is he not top 10? It's Mountcastle. I think it's going to be really? one of these two.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I like I can see cool. Mountcastle going for like 38 homers.
0: I I definitely could see it clicking for Mountcastle. I mean, that was remember when we were giving our ridiculous predictions 30, fifty. <laughs> that was that was my guy. I was like, ah, he's gonna hit fifty at thirty three in twenty twenty one. I'm like, he's gonna make the leap. You know, that was my one ridiculous call. He right. only hit twenty two. Was affected by the walls too. We'll see. Um, but I, I think he's got thirty in the tank easy.
1: I'm still banking on Eloy Jimenez to have a fifty homer season. It's coming. It's absolutely coming, man. All you got to do is stay on the field, but uh, he played right in this, in what? I think the White Sox first spring training game, which barf. All right. Number 10. Yeah. Number 10, Nathaniel Lowe with the Texas Rangers. He was a three-win player a year ago, was a 300 guy, hit 302, the 358 OBP. a 492 slug, 27 homers, 76 driven in, a 143 WRC plus. Problem for Lowe. Yes, he's a 300 guy. Yes, he was flirting with 30 homers. He is so far and away the worst defensive first baseman you will find in Major League Baseball. He pushes the boundaries of the narrative that it doesn't matter how bad of a defensive first baseman you are.
0: And, and you know, this is kind of the segue from the Hoskins point. Um, you're going to have to really stand out offensively uh, to, to be able to circumvent the defense. And I thought, you know, we end up comparing bat to bat. Yes, Hoskins has more, uh, you know, track record, but what, what Nathaniel Lowe did last year, I think going into this coming season, you've got to be expecting Lowe to have the the better year. And, and I mentioned that, you know, you, we've never seen a three win season from, you know, somebody like like Hoskins because of the defense. Lowe still posted a three F war despite being the worst defender at the position. You can improve marginally at first base defensively, and, and he'll be a a three-and-a-half, four-win player. If he can just improve a little bit defensively. The big thing that put him in the top ten for me, Jack, was the second half. This yes. guy was spectacular. I, he was one of the best hitters in baseball in the second half. A 176 WRC+. plus. He hit 339, 399, 566. People can talk about there was some good batted ball luck. You get some of the underlying metrics. Oh uh, Yeah, he was a little lucky here or there. I don't care. He hit 340 and got on base at a 400 clip and slugged 566. Subtract the luck factor. Okay, he hit, what, 300, 360, 520 then? Like, how much you want to subtract here? This guy was one of the best hitters in baseball in the second half, luck or not.
1: Really interesting to note that Lowe is actually a really good left-on-left hitter. He hit 330 against left-handed pitching. Mm -hmm. So I mean that that obviously helps, right? Like you see more right-handed arms. So like, yeah, he's gonna be more comfortable there. And he hit 288 against them, but he slugged 471. He slugged 536 against lefties, too. So I'm sure like when he was seeing the ball right after the all-star break, he was seeing the ball right from the left side and from the right side. So I mean, he's also, like, just a big-ass dude, man. 6'4", 220, he feels 6'6", 240. Like, he just feels like a menacing guy in the batter's box.
0: A hundred percent, and he is a menacing guy that was hitting the ball on the ground too much. So you cut down the ground ball rate by 6% and hit the ball in the air a little bit more, that's where you get another nine home runs, which is what you got in the same amount of games last year. So there's a guy that kind of figured it out and then figured out how to get the ball in the air a little bit more and tap into what is really good power, uh, that we're starting to finally see fully make its way into games. I think you'd be another another guy that forts with thirty and hits you know, two eighty plus next year. That's a top ten first baseman even if you boot a lot of balls.
1: yep. Lowe's offensive game is transformed. so has Anthony Rizzos with the New York Yankees. He's the number nine first baseman in baseball going into this year. two point four F 4 last year. Rizzo is not the Rizzo that you are accustomed to seeing with the Chicago Cubs. Anthony Rizzo was a low batting average guy, hit 24, but he still slugged 480. He pumped out 32 homers. He walked at a 10.5% clip. He struck out at a at a K rate under 20%. He was still a 133 WRC plus guy. He was fine by the advanced metric de- defensively. Like, don't really care about that. Like that was a former perennial a goal glover. Um, Anthony Rizzo's game has totally changed though. And I think it's good at this point in his career that he's playing in Yankee Stadium because while he doesn't have that crazy impact in the ability to hit 300 anymore, like he did in Chicago when he was an MVP candidate, what he can do is strategically lift the ball to the pole side and pump out 32 homers.
0: And, and that's exactly what he's doing. It's funny, actually, I've had the, the opportunity to just even actually talk to him about the shift. And this was when he was like, peak getting shifted and he's just like it, you, there's not much you can do you can try to force one the other way or go over it and and i i pick my spots to go over it this is when he was still playing with the cups it's a little bit harder to go over it when you don't have a short porch in right field but now you know he's in a, in a scenario here where a lot of his fly outs that went out of yankee or a lot of his, his old fly outs turned into home runs in right field at yankee yeah. stadium and he knows that and that's why he was selling out and, and taking advantage of it and that's that's a really key thing for him, which I think he's going to continue to do. I think people are are looking for. I think like the number one, uh, like little bonus that everyone's trying to add to their favorite favorite hitter that tends to go pole side a little bit is like, oh, but they're branding their shit the shift, so he'll be even better next year. Like it's always the icing on the cake for any guy you're trying to make an argument on. But for, for one guy that I really do think it's going to make a ma- major difference for, it's Anthony, Anthony Rizzo because he's going to go over the shift. But in the times that he doesn't, how many times do we see him hit like a one hot liner to a second baseman playing 30 feet out in right field? Like those are going to get through for the most part now. Um, so I think we're going to see the average bounce back a little bit, too. But this guy selling out pole side is going to still be one of the top 10 first basemen in baseball because he's going to get enough home runs out. He's not going to strike out and he's going to walk
1: couple career numbers that point to that. Anthony Rizzo's launch angle last year, 19.3 degrees, was over two degrees higher than his average launch angle of any other year of his entire career. When you look at fly ball rate, 35% fly ball rate a year ago, that's the only time in his career since StatCast started tracking that he is above 30%. I mean, just going year by year. 2019, 21% fly ball rate. 2020, 22%. 2021, 27%, 2022, 35%. And how about pull rate? Because pull rate jumped by nearly 3% from his career high, which was in 2021. So this guy is obviously making a change to pull, and he's getting under way more pitches you look at under percentage on stat cast which is like the amount of times that your barrel is underneath the ball and you like immediately pop it up last year the only time aside from 2020 small sample that he was above 30 percent in his career so he's saying if i miss hit a ball i better be getting under it as opposed to getting on top of it
0: and here's the beautiful thing man with all those numbers comes the highest slugging percentage for Anthony Rizzo since 2019. And beyond that, the fourth highest of his career, that since we've been able to really track it. So uh, in terms of, of the expected slugging as well. So, you know, I mean, th- when it comes to like the stat cast era, this is the best slugging we've seen from him in the stat cast era. So uh, I think it, it speaks to him just knowing what works for him. And I think it's going to continue to work for him. I think he's going to be 30 home runs again.
1: Now, I am going to miss the 290 hitter with a 380 OBP.
0: Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But 30 home runs at Yankee Stadium will play. That'll always play.
1: 290 hitter with a 380 OBP. Vinny Pasquantino is the eighth best first baseman in baseball heading into 2023. Listen, I understand that he just passed his rookie qualification in 2022. I understand that he was a 1.5 F4 guy. I think we as a collective unit are all the way bought into Vinny Pasquantino because he slashed 295, 383, 450 in just under 300 plate appearances, 10 homers, 26 RBIs. But 11.7% walk rate, 11.5% K rate, had a 137 WRC+. Guess what? This guy has done that, exactly that. At every stop of his baseball career, from Old Dominion to the minor leagues, now to the major leagues, Vinny could hit 300 with 20 homers for Kansas City this year.
0: Yeah, no, I, I mean this guy's. <laughs> we've talked about it a lot on the podcast, but like, it's it's one of the more ridiculous profiles I've I've seen. That's why I've I've loved him since the minors, early in the minors, in the big leagues, in his in his 70 game stretch of getting his feet wet in the big leagues. 92 percent zone contact insane that is that is a plus plus hitter that's a 70 grade hit and on top of that he's a first base masher oh on top of that he has a good approach he walks he doesn't strike out like this is a guy that i think if you queued up and i'm probably going to try to do this at some point max exit velocity and zone contact and said Give me all the players with a max exit velocity over 110 and a zone contact of uh, above 92%. It's a very short list. Yeah. Very, very, very short list. And Vinny Pascantino's on it. And I think the max exit velocity is going to be higher as he has more, you know, batted ball events. Uh, but this is, this is a special offensive talent, a guy that I, I would bet a lot of money on having a, an OPS well over 800 this year. And, and I think that's, that's just a testament to how well-rounded he is of a hitter. He's almost kind of like a, he's he's like the Italian Yordan to a, in a way, with just the way that he hits for power and for average. Obviously, he's got a little bit of ways to go to be as prolific as Yordan, but yeah. he has a lot of similarities that you just don't find very often.
1: I was gonna say like if you were to query that, where you query zone contact and average exit velocity, it's probably Vinny and Yordan, and then there's like a big drop off.
0: Mookie, maybe.
1: Mookie, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, Um, man.
0: McNeil will surprise you with how hard he hits it, but I don't know if he'd be up there in terms of like 90th percentile exit velocity. Right. Um, But yeah, I mean, that's the crazy thing. Like any underlying statistic, and I know there's more to the game than that, but I mean, he's already producing on the surface too. Any underlying statistic, you're going to queue up whatever thresholds you want to, to dwindle the number of players, the player pool. It'll be Vinny Pascantino and you pick three elite hitters. Like, I can come up with any sl- different important offensive statistic, advanced stat, uh, you know, batted ball data metric, and it'll be Vinny Pascantino and your favorite hitter. Like, that's, think, just who, that's who he is.
1: Do you think, like, we're having an elite hitter conversation about Vinny after this year?
0: Yes, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Barring what do you injury, make it? A doubt.
1: So, I think that his toe tap, like, I, I think that his lead leg is so cool. Because that feels like the timing mechanism
0: that I would be teaching
1: like eight-year-olds when they're yeah. first learning pitch ball.
0: He makes it simple, man. He makes it simple and and he's got his moves down. Uh, and and there's nothing more refreshing than to watch a guy like that. So uh, for all of you in your fantasy leagues, definitely pick that guy up. He's not going to be a number eight by the end of the year. I promise you that.
1: A hundred percent. Vinny Pascantino, last point on him, hit 316 with a 507 slug off fastballs, hit 308 with a 508 slug off breaking balls. So if you're trying to beat him, you better have a really good changeup or splitter because you're not going to beat him with a fastball and you're not going to beat him with a breaking ball. And that's what pretty much everybody throws now.
0: And um, Oh, sorry. Also, by the way, crushed lefties too. Go ahead. Yeah,
1: there you go. So you better have a damn good changeup. Number seven is Christian Walker with the Arizona Diamondbacks. 4.1 war last year. If you yeah. heard that name and you say, what the hell is Christian Walker doing here? Above Rizzo, above Vinnie, it's because Christian Walker lit the world on fire a year ago. Hit 242 with a 477 slug, 36 homers, 94 driven in, walk rate over 10 percent, K rate under 20 percent, a 122 WRC plus, and he was an elite defensive first baseman.
0: Yeah. How he about that?
1: Out. Would you have expected that? Nope not at all you watch him in the batter's box and you think like oh this no shot this guy plays a good first base he plays a great first base 17 defensive runs saved 14 outs above average you pair that with 36 homers and 94 driven in you've got one of the most all-around solid first basemen in major league baseball
0: he is he is really one of my favorite breakout guys last year because Everything that that you look at points towards. I think him being able to do it again. I, I really do because this is a we need to see him do it again situation here. Uh, and I know some may have him ranked a little bit lower. Some may have him ranked higher because of the year that he had. I think where we have him is is a fair spot because thirty six home runs is a big deal. Um, you know, cutting your strikeout rate while doing so to the lowest of your career is a big deal. Uh, and then the defense, I think really puts him over the top here because I, again, I, I know that the bat is, is the most important thing, but if you're having a breakout offensive year and being one of the best defenders at the position and striking out the least you've ever struck out and walking a good deal, like what is there not to like about Walker? Obviously he he's not you know going to be the, the batting average on base machine that you want to see, but I mean, the power is ridiculous. Um, and he's finally tapping into it more consistently, like in games. I'm I'm really excited to see how he follows last year, especially on a much more exciting uh, overall, but just more exciting Diamondbacks team. I, I think he's going to be a, a really important middle of the order masher for them for a while, but what a, what a time to have a career year at age 31.
1: Yeah, right. I mean, so you play elite defense, you have this power that you tap into. Okay, what's left? Like not throwing away at bats. This guy's chase rate's really good. 23% chase rate is in the top 20% of Major League Baseball. So, I I mean, this guy is selective enough. Again, he walks over 10% of the time. He's the type that even if he's not hitting the ball out of the ballpark, he's still providing ample, ample value for Arizona. And I think they can totally move off of the Seth Beer experiment. Um, I think they were excited about that possibility, but Beer strikes out way too much christian walker has proven to be way safer than i think the arizona diamondbacks were expecting christian walker to be
0: yeah 100 percent. and i'm interested to see like if he he can duplicate it but i i do think he will you talked about the chase rates i think the the zone contact was the best that it's been uh there just seems to be something that clicked for him offensively um i i hope it continues because this is a cool story and and a team that i know we're all really excited about but uh, Walker is a chance to be one of the more you know just balanced first baseman in the game to hit your 30 home runs keep the strikeout rate respectable and now play great defense he he might follow up with another four-win season I don't think it would be crazy which is tough to do at first base
1: 100 percent balance is the name of the game and a four-win season is the name of the game for our next guy Jose Abreu is number six on this list was with the Chicago White Sox now with the world champion Houston Astros hit 304 with a 378 OBP, a 446 slug, 9% walk rate, 16% K rate. He had a WRC plus floating with 140 at 138. He was a fine defensive first baseman. Listen. Abreu, so much of the narrative around him is team leader, right? He was the best thing to happen to the White Sox since Paul Canerico. And like, yes, all of the above. The White Sox just lost their captain. The Astros just got a lot better at first base by adding a reliable guy that if he does play the whole year, last year felt a little fluky where he was 15 homers, 75 RBIs. He was like a walking 30 and a hundred. I think that he's probably a shoe in for 20 homers and close to 90 driven in in that lineup.
0: That's the funny thing too. Cause you know, I remember people talking about that at the end of last year, like, Oh, his, you know, he's, he's getting older, his powers down, whatever. And I don't really think so. You know, I, I think this was a guy that just had a, different plan at the plate, which was just drive the baseball. And and he drove the baseball, right? Like his strikeout rate was the lowest of his career. His WRC plus was up 12 points from the year where he had double the homers, right? Like sometimes it's okay to have less homers. He had 35 more hits. He had 10 more doubles. Like he was still hitting the baseball consistently and consistently hard. Um, And I do think he's going to sneak in some more home runs now in, in Houston. I think he's going to drive in a lot of runs too, but this was still a fantastic offensive season. He tied his career higher I guess excluding his rookie season where he hit 317 like a freak um this was the second highest batting average of his career
1: hey man he hit 317 in
0: 2020 oh yeah true I was I always naturally omit that that's I mean.
1: reigning M or that's uh that's 2020 MVP Jose Abreu
0: yeah that's fair that's fair but what I will say is like this version of Abreu plays and I think this is more set up for sustainable success as he ages not I'm gonna club 30 home runs because when he does slow down a little bit if it's the Nelson losses, Cruz thing If Yeah, if they do taper down a little bit, okay, I can still drive the ball in the gaps. I can still be a productive hitter at the big league level while only hitting 15 home runs. It is very impressive to have your home run total cut in half and up your WRC plus by 12 points. That's a testament to how well-rounded a a hitter Jose Abreu is.
1: Uh, He grounded it in 19 double plays a year ago compared to 28 double plays in 2021. Uh, does harder. that mean anything to you?
0: <laughs> yes, it tells me that he's he's just hitting the ball harder and driving into the gaps more, baby.
1: It doesn't mean shit to me. I was just picking a random number, but okay. Uh yeah, it's going to be sad to see Jose Abreu in a non-white Sox uniform, but eh, I'm happy for him because he's on the best team in baseball. Yeah. Number 5 is Matt Olson, who is a three-win player in his first year in Atlanta. Matt Olson hit 240 with a 325 OBP and a 477 slug, 34 homers. 103 driven in, an 11% walk rate, 24% K rate, a 120 WRC plus, six defensive runs saved and three outs above average at first base. He is, pardon, he is a gold glove caliber first baseman. Um, I think that when he's right, he's one of the most fearsome hitters in Major League Baseball and should be one of the most feared hitters in Major League Baseball. Uh, I think that this guy, even coming off of 34 and 103, is going to be an absolute masher this year for the Braves.
0: Yeah, is it, is it just me or are you like a little disappointed from last year?
1: I'm like, a little and, disappointed but like
0: I don't but, know but why. It's kind of making yeah, to make my point, it's like here we are a little disappointed at a he played all 162, which by the way, that's always going to get a hat tip from me. Yeah. 34 bombs, all the numbers you just said, 120 WRC plus and and sprinkled on a little bit of defensive value. A
1: 93 mile an hour average exit velo.
0: Yeah. He hits the shit out of the ball, but like it just shows you where the ball, where he set the bar for himself after yeah. the year that he had in 2019. And then again in 2021, right? Like this guy set the bar so high off of those two seasons. We get him moving out of Oakland into a more hitter friendly ballpark into a more, hitter friendly lineup and where we I think we were just expecting like MVP candidate and I think that was maybe a little bit we maybe jumped the gun there uh, a little bit for a guy that's you know now going to a bigger market for the first time that's now you know playing in a different environment for the first time he played you know eight seasons or parts of seven seasons with Oakland before that uh I think this is a guy that could make the leap that we kind of were expecting him to instantly make this yeah. year right I don't but know like, what that means because the guys ahead the of leap? him the guys ahead of him are all freaks. What what is the leap? Because he was nasty last year, right? But again, we, we feel disappointed. So like, why do we feel disappointed? What 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 can he be? What should he have been? Was it two seventy one, three seventy one, five forty like he was in twenty twenty one? We were almost expecting more than that. Like, was that just unreasonable from us? Like, I I find the whole Matt Olson situation and, and like just fascinating because he was good last year.
1: Yeah, maybe it's like a Braves thing, but Ozzy Albies again, the king of the counting stat like he's 30 and 100 and somehow he's got like a 780 OPS. Matt Olson 44 doubles, 34 homers, 103 RBIs and his OPS is 110 points worse than it was in the year prior. But like that's the bar that he set for himself like you're saying. He had 39 homers in one of the most pitcher friendly ballparks in major league baseball. Like I was ready for 40. I was ready for 50, dude. <laughs> I was buying into, and I still buy into the idea that I think that Matt Olson contract is a better contract than the Freddie Freeman contract. But at the beginning of the the year, Freeman had, yeah. I mean, like looking at the front two years of this deal, I totally think Freddie's the better option than Matt Olson. But as Freddie ages and Matt Olson gets into his ripe, ripe years, Olson's 28 years old. It feels like he's 32. He's 28. I think that he's going to age so well and he's just a huge dude with a massive swat of a swing. Like there's nobody, nobody else's swing screams like crazy, big, powerful swat than Matt Olson. It's,
0: yeah, it's not, frightening. Uh, I love it. hey, it's it's so a different fun. kind of swat. The other swat is the Stanton swat, but it, it's two yes. different swats. Um, and I like
1: Olson's a little bit more.
0: I like Olsen's. One, it looks better, but two, even if it didn't look better, if you flip Stanton on the left side, it'd probably look better. Yeah, this the natural aesthetic of it. Although Stanton swing lefty would be bizarre to look at. I need someone to. Can someone, anyone that listens to this and has Flip it is just really bored? Can you please tweet us like a mirrored Stanton swing from the left side? I and bet it looks dumb it with, as hell. People were doing it with Tua from the right with his right arm, <laughs> and they're like, "Look how much better he looks!" Like I told you, it's just everyone's just shitting on him because he's a lefty. And it became like a meme. Can someone please send me a Stanton? reverse like left-handed swing um feel free to tweet that at us we'll retweet it from the from the just baseball account i'll retweet it from my personal i i'm
1: sure um, we're gonna get saying. yeah i'm sure we're gonna get somebody tweeting us at us with that um last it. question about like the jump do you think that leap that we're expecting him to take puts him in the conversation of the top four or do you think it's hey he's still really really good but he's not close to these top four
0: i'm gonna be a asshole who cops out here I think it really depends on what the top four do because the top four ain't going anywhere and and I think there's an interesting storyline in each of the four ahead uh, in terms of whether they can hold that spot or or improve enough to hold that spot for for some of the other guys that were kind of you know given the benefit of the doubt like maybe the guy ahead of him who I think he could take his spot but it's also a guy that we're expecting to make that leap too so I think it really depends on on everybody else, because I think the guys ahead of him could could match even that level up season from Matt Olson.
1: This is fucking crazy. But Vlad Guerrero Jr. is the fourth best first baseman in baseball in 2023. I mean, shit, dude. He's coming off of a a season where, yes, he had 700 plate appearances, played an entire year, but was a 2.8 win guy. Hit 274, 339, 480, 32 homers, 97 driven in, a 132 WRC+. plus. Again, average to slightly below average defensively at first base. But Vlady Jr., I don't think it's... I, yes, it is like him not taking the leap to Jordan Alvarez type production that we were expecting him to. Um, but it's also like he just got dinged from probably one, we put him at two last year, all the way to four because uh-huh. of what one and two and three did.
0: Correct. Correct. Like that's, that's the biggest thing. Now I'm glad you said it. Cause I wanted to emphasize that it is not much. It is not a,
1: an indictment it, on it, Vladdy.
0: Exactly. It's not, it's not a concern about his 2023 season. I think if you surveyed everybody who who played a part in these rankings, uh, nobody, nobody thinks that that Vladdy will have a year that is either on par with last year or worse which is crazy because again he was good last year 32 homers
1: 97 driven in like if we're going to look at homers and rbis for any position it's first base
0: yeah and it's a 132 wrc plus but you know i think the way we've been looking at these these rankings is like still waiting 2021 as a season and and the craziest part is we did with vladdy we very much weighted the 48 home runs the 166 wrc plus and the 6.3 f4 but the reality is all the guys ahead of him I've either been close to that for back-to-back years or just did that. So uh, that's the one thing that holds Vladdy back. But again, Vladdy, if he gets back to that 2021 form, which I think he will, the only thing that was holding him back last year was higher chase rates and more ground balls. He was just chasing too much, over a 30% chase rate. And the ground ball rate was was 8% higher than usual. That really did him in, and w- it, which is interesting because his chase rate jumped by like st- almost 10%. As a result, the ground ball rate jumps they chase some more pitches at the bottom of the zone. Harder to drive the ball in the air. All of a sudden, fastballs were affecting a little bit more. So I, I think this, this was just a natural adjustment period for him where the league came out with a scouting report that was, you know, finally started to work a little bit on him. And I think we'll see a guy that's extremely talented adjust back. And even then, he was still great last year.
1: You know what the craziest thing to me is? Um, year by year, how he fared against fastballs. From 2021 yeah. to 22. Have you looked at this like at any point in the offseason? It, it,
0: yeah, he was he was a joke against fast, like in, in the best way possible. Like He
1: was he was 371 with yeah, a, was a 670 joke. slug against fastballs in 2021. And here he is putting together a dog shit 2022 against fastballs where he hit 295 with a 556 slug. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, isn't that nuts? I mean,
1: like he's an all star against fastballs in 2022, but he's Barry freaking Bonds against fastballs in 2021.
0: And that's basically the the difference between what we saw last year and what we saw the year before that.
1: Dude, and like breaking balls, he slugged 550 against him in 2021. He slugged 420 against him this past year. So I mean, everything just kind of ticked down, but he's still really, really good against these yep. pitches. I think he set the bar so high for himself in 21 that he puts together this solid year in 22 and everybody is having the Matt Olson panic where it's, Oh my gosh, what happened to Vladdy? Like we're screwed here, but yeah, he's, um, he's
0: going to be just fine.
1: I think so too. But Pete Alonso bunny hops him. Alonzo is the third best first baseman in baseball in 2023. Alonso was a four win player. 40 homers, 131 driven in. He was the best run producer in Major League Baseball a year ago. He had a 143 WRC+. Plus, really underrated part of Alonzo's game. 10% walk rate, 19% K rate. You think with that juice, with that run production, and with that physique, he's going to punch out all the time? Guess what? He doesn't. He's not that good of a defensive first baseman, but the bat and what he does in the middle of the Mets order if there's any 300 million dollar first baseman on this list that isn't Vladdy Jr., yeah. probably Pete Alonso.
0: Yeah, I I agree. And and honestly, I still think that Vlady has a good chance of of jumping back over Pete Alonso. Yeah, I think um, he
1: has a good chance of jumping everybody.
0: Yeah, but but at the end of the day, you know, I think after what Alonso just followed up his 2021 with to to have an even better year uh, to to you know, up his 37 home runs to 40 uh to up the batting average, the on-base percentage, match the slugging percentage. It's it's just really hard to to poke a hole in what Alonzo's doing offensively to drive in 131 runs. Uh, and I know people can say, "Oh, RBI's a a, a luck stat, a being in the right place." That sure, somewhat, but if you drive in 131, you got something going right. And and that's just a guy that's got something going right. And this is a really when it comes to power, it's such a pure hitter for how powerful he is. And, and, and that's, you know, to your point on the strikeouts um, this is somebody that I think you can pencil in for 35 to 40 home runs, I think for a very long time moving forward. And uh, he's going to be good for a very, very long time. I think Vladi can go more nuclear because of the bat to ball skills, just being on another level, even above a pure hitter, like Alonzo, as we're talking about, compared to some of these other guys, uh, but but Alonso's floor is so high. What he's done the last two years is just so consistently good that he he just he's earned it. He's grinded past Vladdy with his last two seasons.
1: So he has played 530 games. He's played pretty much four full seasons, right? He he debuted on opening day in 2019. He played the full season in 2020, um, oh. and then he played 152 games in 21, 160 games in 22. Oh. 162 game average. It's got an 884 OPS, 45 homers, 116 RBIs.
0: Yeah, that's crazy.
1: I mean, like, here's the thing, man. We say that Vladdy has the chance to go more nuclear than Pete Alonso, as if Pete Alonso's this super bland player, 45 homers and 116 RBIs. I'm so jealous of Ryan Finkelstein for turning on the TV and watching this guy every single night and he was oh, pounding the pavement like pete alonso's bl- better than va- better than vladdy Blech. and i think peter was pushing back it's like come on dude it's vladdy and fink was like come on dude it's pete alonso and it got to a point where i was like fuck dude you're right come on it's pete alonso like 45 and 116 on an average basis over 162 yeah.
0: The floor is just like steady at this point. Um, And and I'm really excited because I think it's going to be a a showdown of sorts between them two in terms of like, those might be the two best offensive forces this coming season, especially with Jordan looking banged up. There's a legit scenario where those are the two guys in each league that, you know, are putting up some of the most impressive counting stats when we talk about the triple crown and stuff like that. Those are the two guys I think will be putting up the most home runs in RBI without a doubt.
1: Yeah, 100%. Um, but let's jump to number two here. Second best first baseman in the game right now is Paul Goldschmidt, the reigning National League MVP, seven win player a year ago, hit 317, had a 404 OBP, slugged 578, 35 homers, 115 driven in, 12% walk rate, 22% K rate, a 177. WRC Plus was top five in the game. Again, he is a good defensive first baseman uh were you expecting this from Paul Goldschmidt? I was expecting fringe all-star. I was not expecting build the hall of fame case, Goldie.
0: Yeah, this was this was kind of the like, you know, stamp the flag down, plant the flag. Like I I I'm trying to finish strong here and be a Hall of Famer. And I mean, to have the the second arguably the best year of his career if you you count the accolade, but in terms of F war. By point one, it, it trails only his 2015 season when he was real, which was really like that was one of the the seasons where we really got to be put on notice uh, on what Paul Kollisch capable of. He had you know the six war season 2013. uh, took a little bit of a step back in 2014. People were like oh maybe he's more like this guy, and then boom, you know did what he did in 2015. And we've just seen him be consistent and and we thought you know maybe he'd just be that fringe all-star for the rest of his career which is great that's what the cardinals acquired i don't think they expected that much more and what does he do at age 34 uh, he basically has the best season of his career close to it like this is so remarkable supposed to 177 wrc plus at 34 years old to hit 317 and slug near 600 it is so fun to watch this guy hit and i'm really i'm really invested now because he got a later start than some um yeah. you know he hasn't put up some of the threshold numbers that some like to see, but uh, he's about a season or two away. I think from really solidifying the hall of fame case, which I don't think people would have said maybe even before this MVP season, He's got to break through 2000 hits, but I mean, this guy's a 295 career hitter. He has over, over 300 home runs. Now he could have 400 by the time he's done with, with I think very reasonable number there and be a high 200 hitter over 2000 hits MVP award in the bank. He's gonna have a good case. So I'm bought in on him just like putting together as many good seasons as he can over the next four or five years. And, and hopefully we see Paul Goldschmidt in Cooperstown.
1: I I did it, man. I I scrolled to the Hall of Fame case on baseball reference. I I went deep into the annals of, of baseball reference, right above transactions and salaries. Um salaries looks good, by the way. Congratulations to Paul Goldschmidt on making yes. a lot of money so far. Um, but Hall of Fame numbers. Uh 58 and a half career war the average Ooh. hall of fame first baseman has 65 career war. So he is two years away, or if he does what he did in 2022, uh, he's one year away from already matching the average career war of first baseman. You look at seven year peak war. You take Paul Goldschmidt's best seven year stretch 45.3 war the average among hall of fame, first baseman 41.8 check on both. How about war over 162? You take Paul Goldschmidt over his career, over 162 games, he's a 5.8-win player. The average Hall of Fame first baseman is a 4.8-win player. He's checking all the boxes.
0: Aside from the 2020 season, five straight 30 home run seasons.
1: He's checking all the boxes.
0: He's just got to do a few more years. Five silver
1: sluggers, four gold gloves, seven All Stars. He finally has an MVP. If St. Louis wins a World Series, start making the bust, Cooperstown.
0: Yeah, yep. Three ninety one career on base percentage. This guy's walked with the best of them. I think that's a really important point too. Like this, how many seasons with over a four hundred on base percentage? I'm counting one, two, three, four, five. Last year was his sixth season. With an on base percentage above 400. (laughs) Like, it's clockwork for this guy. Um, And and like, I think that we almost got numb to how consistently good he is. Like, he was 290, 390 to 400, 490 to 500, sometimes way higher than that. I would say he's more like 520 to 530 in the slug department every single year. Career average of 295, 391, 527 slash line. Like, that is insane. Um, and, and again, he's coming off of a year where he has not shown one semblance of slowing down. And the only reason he's not number one is another guy that's similar to his age that is showing no signs of slowing down either, getting better and better too. So it's really cool with the first baseman is the guys that really figure out their swings and are able to stay healthy. Um, they age really well and just can continue to compile numbers. And and I don't think Paul Goldschmidt's going to slow down anytime soon. I really don't.
1: Number one, retires in the next three years, which he won't. Is he a Hall of Famer? Yes. Okay. Freddie Freeman is the best first baseman in baseball for 2023. Freddie Freeman was the best first baseman in baseball in 2022. 7.1 F war. Identical to that of Paul Goldschmidt. He hit 325 with a 407 OBP, a 511 slug, 21 homers, 13 bags, 100 driven in, a 12% walk rate, 14% K rate. 157 WRC plus. Freddie Freeman is as good of a hitting first baseman that we have in this era, aside from Miguel Cabrera. Yeah. Freddie's kind of the king of the position right now.
0: What he did last year.
1: Um, crazy, dude.
0: You know, and you see the home runs go down by 10, whatever. Um 325. And now we go over what he did in the shortened season was crazy to another short season MVP another mickey mouse MVP but he hit 341 in that span and then in 2021 hits 300 and then 2022 hits 325 this guy might do the old reverse of what we normally see which is that that career batting average fighting for its life to stay over 300 he might get it over 300 on the back half of his career he's at 298 and the way he's been hitting over the last few years he might get it over 300 uh, with how he's performing, it just seems like Freeman becomes more of an expert on himself the more games he plays. You know, like with AI, just the more the, the longer it exists, the more questions it asks, the more you know, information that that it's able to just kind of build up and, and questions that it answers. Um, I feel like Freddie Freeman is, is, is almost like AI, where the more games he plays, even though he, it already seems like he's mastered the approach, mastered the swing seems like he just gets better and better. Like he learns more about himself every single at bat. And each time we see him the next season, he looks even more advanced, even more veteran and even more consistent. And you just rarely see this guy take a bad at bat. It's, it's remarkable. And and really I would argue that he's been better in the second half of his career so far, or at least over the last five years, than the five years before that which you don't see guys from age 28 to 32 maybe being better than their age 24 to 27 uh but that's exactly what the case has been and i think he's playing his best baseball right now at age 31 32 so another guy that's you know really putting his resume over the top with a a better performance on the other side of 30.
1: so um The Hall of Fame numbers like the Black Ink on baseball reference doesn't do Freddie any favors at this point because he's 32 years old. But you go to similarity scores, uh, similar hitters through age 32, through their age 32 season. Eddie Murray, Rafael Palmero, Carl Yastrzemski, Orlando Cepeda, Billy Williams, Jeff Bagwell, Prince Fielder. Two of those guys are not Hall of Famers. Prince because he stopped at 32 with the neck thing, yeah. and Rafael Palmero because he was pushing horse tranquilizer into his butt cheek. So, yeah. I mean like that's it. They're all Hall of Famers.
0: That's it. So I guess I, to, to to make a correction, he's probably got to do a few more years too. a few more
1: um, years. Yeah. But like he's he's relatively young when we start talking about the Hall of Fame case. He's, he's 30. Got
0: five, he's got five, six years, I think, of, of, of still good, good production.
1: He's 33 years old. He's an MVP, a world champ, a gold glover, three silver sluggers, six all stars. Like when when you talk about narrative accumulation, when you talk about like Talking about these guys, because we know if old white guys love doing anything, it's talking about how many MVPs and gold gloves these guys won as opposed as opposed to, you know, career OPS and things like that. Um, Freddie Freeman, all he needs is five more years for the counting stats and maybe one or two more awards. Um, This guy, what he's done, especially in the back half of his career and how we think he's going to age is going to check every Hall of Fame voters box. 50.4
0: Fifty point four career F four. Uh, you imagine he has, you know, what is he averaging per season? Uh, roughly four and change. Yeah, if he has another five seasons at four and change. We're talking about an eighty F war guy. There or, we go. Or, or excuse me, a seventy F four guy.
1: Yeah, but that's like still with the narrative in Atlanta, and then going home to LA, and he's probably going to be on a team that wins a World Series. And he's... I think
0: that's conservative. Five years of four F four and change. It's like incredibly a, conservative. Right, twenty five. Let's say. 75 f4 like that's a that's you're walking in no matter how much like even if you aren't uh, even if voters aren't looking at advanced stats which we know a lot of them are now i don't think there's a guy that his traditional stats are so far off from the advanced stats that there's a 74 5 win guy that's not in the hall of fame so um you know it's awesome to see and, and i think he's the number one first baseman based on what we're guaranteed to see from him next year and what we still might not know what we're going to see. Like we might see a batting title. We might see, you know, a, a lot of things that, you know, we haven't consistently seen from him. We've seen him be really good, but we might see the, the bat to ball continue to just get to a ridiculous level where he's getting on base at a 420 clip. Like we might not have seen the, the most polished version of Freddie Freeman, the hitter, which is the craziest part.
1: Right. I think we have, I hope we have, because I can't, I don't think my heart could take a better Freddie Freeman. Like it, it feels like it would just, be overwhelming to the senses.
0: You just found out the best version of him here. I'm telling you, my my AI theory the like Chat GPT thing, like he's gonna yeah. just keep getting smarter and better and better until his body can't keep up anymore.
1: Are you gonna start hiring Chat GPT to like write some articles for just baseball.com?
0: I've thought about it. You know, with the way you know, the the power rankings, you know they 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 weren't coming out that consistently. Yeah, much, I know. So. So they're I'm not going to write
1: themselves that's for damn sure I, I,
0: hey well now they will now they will so <laughs> yeah. i'm thinking maybe we have ChatGPT gpt do the power rankings instead this year
1: love that all right again uh top 10 first baseman in major league baseball are three honorable mentions reese hoskins ryan mountcastle ty france number 10 nathaniel Lowe. number nine anthony rizzo Vinny pasquantino is eight christian walker seven jose abreu six matt olsen five Vladdy jr four Pete Alonso, three Paul Goldschmidt, two and Freddie Freeman is uh, the best first baseman in baseball heading into the 2023 season. So, listen to the call up. Uh, at this point, or maybe a little bit later, we've got uh, top 10 Yankees prospects yeah. coming out, and that is a system that you like went deep into the rabbit yeah. hole. In. You put in the man hours.
0: I that that was some of the most hours I've put in on a system. One, because Yankees fans scare me, and two, yeah. because uh, you know, there was a lot of names that I honestly just was not as familiar with, or video was a little bit more limited. I had to dig deeper uh, that I think people, especially Yankees fans, but but prospectors in general, will really enjoy doing the dig on. Um, and then look out for an interview with Mark Vientos coming up at some point this week on the call up Mets prospect, nice. a really talented bat that I think could play a part in their on their bench this year as as kind of a lefty masher for them. So excited to talk to Mark and uh, a bit, always been a big fan of his offensively as a prospect for a while.
1: Call the kid Frank Sinatra, New York, New York, baby. Hey, um, Roderick Arias, remember the name Aram Layton's number one Yankee prospect, Roderick Arias.
0: <laughs> I know you'll you'll hear more on him about where <laughs> where where I stand, but I do think he could be really special. So um, All right. a lot of a lot of high upside talent in that farm system. Look out for Kiner Delgado as well. Um, sign up for Prize Picks. Yes, please, please use the uh, link in the description. There's some really fun long term props there um, that I think are, are, are going to get easy pickings for the regular season. I know Peter's been giving out some of his uh, that you can kind of just put some money down, gives you something to look out for as the season goes on. Use our link, use the code Just Baseball for a full deposit match. You leave a rating help us grow the podcast that would be awesome really appreciate that if you're watching on youtube please subscribe we're heading towards 8,000 subscribers on youtube very pumped about that uh should have some really fun interviews coming up and a lot more top 10s more wbc or wbc previews but if you can't wait for that we're publishing articles on the site every single day previewing stuff for the world baseball classic uh yankees farm systems live a little bit more coming up and we're a couple weeks out from the top 100 lists for just baseball as well so that's all i got jack yeah
1: all that's left is you saying and with that
0: thanks everybody